Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Revelation chapter 4. And the last time the message was titled Lukewarm Christianity. What a contrast between chapters. I mean, the Lord shows us even before last time the Church of Philadelphia and really Philadelphia, not necessarily in Pennsylvania. Um, it was named after that church, that city, but uh, just a powerful church serving the Lord um, just on the front lines with changing the culture. Um, just really, really good church. We talked a lot of good things about it. And then, unfortunately, we moved to Laodicea, which is a little bit of a downer because Laodicea was that lukewarm church. This is uh, a form of Christianity that denies the power of God. It's a very uh, lackluster. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing. In the first century, when Jesus interacted with some of the religious leaders, believe it or not, the Sadducees were a big, they were an arist aristocratic sect of Jewish people, of religious leaders that didn't believe in angels, they didn't believe in miracles. You wonder how much gets sacrificed when people wane in their belief in God, how much they almost blend into the world that there's no semblance of belief or faith at all. So you see the contrast with these two churches. This morning, the message is titled The Throne Room of God because we're going to look at this new dimension that, you know, the portal or the door in heaven is going to open up and God's going to give us a glimpse of what his heaven looks like, what his throne looks like. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, I look at a parallel scripture in Isaiah 6 in the Old Testament, which is another incredibly powerful image. Now, folks, remember, this is just words and letters on a page. But as you start to read it, you start to really understand and you look at a man or a person explaining the unexplainable. So we're going to look at this in five parts. And I'm really excited because this is probably one of the worst one of, because we've had a lot of bad times in our nation's history. Um, and we, we see what's going on, but this really puts things into perspective. So we're going to jump in and look at this in five parts. Join me in Revelation 4. He says, after these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I heard was like a trumpet speaking to me saying, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne and he who sat there was like a Jasper and a Sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal, in the, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures. 
Um, the old translation is four beasts, and I'm going to get to that, full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf or an ox, the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. So one out of five is God's throne. So let me just go back to you know, I've had some debates with people who read snippets of the Bible and then they try to explain the Bible. But the Bible tells us itself to have the whole counsel of God. We can't understand these things unless we have a, a, a well-rounded, a well-fed diet of the word from Genesis to Revelation. So he says, this is chronological in verse 1, which is a bridge verse. It says, after these things, the Greek metatauta, after these things, the indication is that there's chronological order. So what did we just cover in the first three chapters and what's in chapter four, really through 19? What we find is the church age has ended and there's a door. Now, not like one of those wooden doors. It's a, a portal. It, it appears in heaven. And John is like, I've never seen that before. And the voice says, come up here. He comes up to a different dimension. The voice is like a trumpet, and it, it invites the believer up into heaven. So it, it stands to reason that that door is often closed. There's a separation. But here, the door is opened. This also parallels 1 Thessalonians 4, which we understand as the rapture or the harpazo, the voice like a trumpet, the call, the invitation to meet the Lord in the air, right? To be in the heavenlies until chapter 19 when the saints follow the Lord back down to earth. So in, in addition, again, chapter 4 through chapter 19a, the 70th week of Daniel takes place. And again, this is why we need to know all of the Bible. The 70th week of Daniel, there was 69 weeks, right? And then Messiah was cut off. And then the church age was ushered in. Now there's a 70th week, a Shabuah in the Hebrew, a seven-year period that still hasn't taken place from Daniel chapter 9. When the church end has run its course, the times of the Gentiles, right? The church age, the age of grace, that seven-year period has to be reinvigorated. It has to be reactivated again. And then the Lord returns and the millennial kingdom from there. So a voice like a trumpet, a trumpet blast. Um, when you look at a lot of the Old Testament feasts, Passover, right, was the crucifixion, the shedding of blood to protect from the plague of death. So we know that that the Passover and a lot of these Jewish festivals were fulfilled in the New Testament. Many Bible scholars believe that the Feast of Trumpets that comes during September is a 
will be the time that the rapture comes. Not necessarily this year. I'm not date setting. But it, it is believed, right? Because if you look at all the different, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Passover, all those things have been fulfilled in Christ. There are some that have yet to be fulfilled. So if the Lord is, I say this very humbly, if the Lord has taken suggestions, this September would be wonderful, but that's completely up to him. So, but a lot of Bible scholars believe, and Messianic Jews, that the rapture will take place in September at the Feast of Trumpets. But it'll be a trumpet like no one's ever heard. So more on the chronological order. Uh, Revelation 4.1, which we're covering, this bridge verse, and Revelation 1.19, right? In 1.19, he says, the things that are seen, the things that are, and the things which must take place after this. Again, chronological order. The things that were seen, the things that are, speaking about the church age when we covered that, and the things that much take, must take place after this. So what I love about the Lord is he, he's a God of order. The Bible says that. You know, he doesn't willy-nilly make stuff up on the fly. He has a plan, right? So the church age, the rapture, um, the age of grace or the church age runs out. Then who, who takes place, right? Because we don't hear about Christians. We don't hear about the church. Who comes in when the world is suffering through these revelation judgments? The 144,000 evangelistic Jews. And there's already thousands of them in Israel and all over the world as we speak. Um, but I have, to, I have to back up for a minute. Whether it's a Gentile or a Jew who believes in Christ, they go to be with the Lord. But there are 144,000 that get sealed by the Lord from each tribe right? 12 times 12, 144, 144,000, that the Lord sends them out to do his work on the earth because the church is gone. And it's the, it's the last year or this last seven-year period of Daniel, who, if you read Daniel 9, the Bible says to Daniel, the prophet, this is for your people, the Jews. You see the order there. So for some, you might say, man, it's a little confusing. Listen, send me an email. I'll write you a diagram uh, after service. For me, it's perfectly clear. Um, it just takes a little getting used to. But there's an incredible order to all this. And I'm going to do the timeline again some point in the future. Right? So in Revelation 19b, the Lord returns, his saints with him, and then the millennial kingdom starts. So Revelation 1.1 says the things that will shortly or swiftly take place. And people have criticized that and said, well, quickly take place. It's been 2,000 years. But when you understand the language, the original language, what it meant was it would unfold very quickly once it starts. So once the prophetic time clock starts again, these things are going to go very, very quickly. You know, I don't know about you, but when I'm really busy, it's, it's a, a mind thing. It's a, a how our minds work. If I have absolutely nothing to do, time just ticks, ticks, ticks. You know, if I'm sick and I'm at home, it just seems like the day is a week long. But when I'm out doing stuff and I look at my watch, I'm like, wow, a few hours have gone past. I didn't even notice it. So this is going to be a similar occurrence. When that prophetic time clock starts again, things are going to be rapid. And when we get into Revelation judgment, you're going to see, wow, so much going on. The news crews aren't going to be able to catch up with all the things that they're going to be seeing around them. Fascinating. So I just want to encourage you as well is for those Christians that are, I just distracted you probably for about five minutes. If you go home and you watch TV again, you're going to be depressed again. But I just want to encourage you is that these things are going to happen. 
So what we're experiencing is temporary. It doesn't mean we should just sit around and do nothing because we should be serving the Lord and asking the Lord, how would you use me in my little sphere of influence, right? I like to bring people together. I mean, there's, like I said, there's enough people on TV dividing, dividing, dividing. That's all you seem to hear. To me, to bring two people together that are very distant in their philosophy, in their politics, in their spiritual beliefs, it takes some time. And it's a lot of work. It's just, it's a lot easier to rile people up and get them to fight. But it takes more work. And God tells us that we should be peacemakers. And we have to ask ourselves, what, the things that we do in life, especially now, am I causing more division or am I bringing people together? It's a judgment call. Something to pray about. Verse 2. He continues, he says, John says, immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. Remember, he doesn't know what he's seeing. If God took me to the open door and showed me stuff, I'd be like, oh my goodness, you'll never believe what I saw. But to try to explain it would be very difficult because it's unlike this. It's glorious. It's dazzling. It's incredible. Verse 3, it says, And he who sat there was like, he, he's trying to make a comparison, like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne and an appearance like an emerald. You know, I'm seeing my, uh, it's, it's sensory overload. I'm seeing things. I'm hearing things. And uh, I don't know what to make of it all, but let me do the best I can writing it down. So two out of five is a different dimension. The question is, where is heaven? People ask that. There's a whole book. Uh, Randy Alcorn wrote a book, Heaven, and I think it's very biblical. I enjoy it. I refer to it once in a while, you know. Um, just a lot of questions people have about heaven and the afterlife. And he does a great job using scripture to make sense of a lot of it. But where is heaven? Jesus in Matthew 12, 28, when the religious leaders weren't buying his Messiah thing, and try to attribute his miracles to other things, he was telling the religious leaders, he said, if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, the kingdom of heaven has come upon you. And the inference is, you missed it. How tragic. The kingdom of heaven has come upon you. So where is the kingdom of heaven? Now, all my science-minded people are going to be texting me and calling me after service because a lot of smart people here, you guys do a lot of research, um, you know, when you look at the universe, galaxies, and you look at wormholes, like these theories of science that are quite fascinating, uh, string theory, different dimension, well, feast on this. Where is the kingdom of heaven? If you're going to ask me where it is, my answer is I don't know. Now, I'm going to throw some conjecture out towards you today just to kind of get you to think and stimulate you a little bit. So if, if this is God's throne room, the ever-expanding universe and galaxies might be like a little piece of fuzz on his desk. <laughs> you know, while we're screaming about everything in this world, God's looking at it going, yeah, I, I'm, I got it. I'm, I'm under, I got it under control. It won't be long now. I'm going to make sure I fix everything there. You know what I'm saying? Um, is the kingdom of heaven... You know, if, if you were to look within us, you look within this, this pulpit, it seems solid. But there's atoms that are, in, they're, compared to the size of the atoms, the protons, the neutrons, the electrons, and the space between the nucleus and the electrons, it seems like a world of difference, of distance, compared to the size of the electron. So really, everything around us is like Swiss cheese. It has more holes than you could imagine. 
So we think that this is it, folks. But again, let me distract you because this isn't it. This is created, right? I was reading about the electromagnetic force and the strong nuclear force and all the different forces. And, you know, you ask a scientist, well, what holds the molecules together? You know, what keeps the atoms behaving? And they say, well, it's the strong nuclear force, right? But then you say, well, how do neutrons, skip that, how do... um, protons in a nucleus, since they're positively charged, not come apart. And they'll tell you it's the strong nuclear force. Well, what holds the strong nuclear force together? And their answer is, we don't know. And again, there's a lot of theories to it. So God made everything. He set in order. And we think that this is everything, but it's not. There's a whole world that it cannot be destroyed. It cannot be corrupted by sin. There's no injustice in it. And that's where we're going to be spending eternity. And that's the blessing. This, folks, this is temporary. And again, my, my, I'm not sitting here blowing it off and because I want, I've been wanting, how do I help? What do I do? And, and we've been doing things and Christians have been doing things um, because we want to serve the living God. And that's got to be our first principle. By serving God, we serve people and we make things better as a church. He says, one sat on the throne. He's, he doesn't go, oh, that was God. Yeah, I know what he looks like. He's got a long white beard, and he's kind of elderly. He's been around for thousands of years. Um, that's not what he says, because he doesn't know what he's seeing. He sees the light. He sees the emanation. He hears the sounds. One sat on the throne. I don't even know who that one is. My personal opinion, as we go through these two chapters, is that that is the Father. We're going to see in, in verse 5, we're going to get to it this morning, Verse 5, we see the Holy Spirit. Uh, we also see in next Sunday in chapter, in, in chapter 5, 6, and 7, we see the Son. So you have your Father, your Son, your Holy Spirit, right? The jasper is a clear stone. The sardius is a red stone. Both of these stones are found on the breastplate of the high priest. You know, God asked, well, God commanded, <laughs> scratch that, he's God, he asks you to do something, do it. <laughs> so he talks to Moses and, you know, he's getting everything set up. And the cool thing is in Hebrews 9, it says that everything that was made on the earth was, was a copy of the things in heaven, right? The sacrifices, the breastplate, the, the menorah, the, the holy of holies, the, um, the mercy seat, right? All these things were a copy of what God has in heaven and said to Moses, just do what I ask you to do, fashion it, get your artisans, get your gold, get your bronze, get your silver, get your stones, get your gems. This is what I want you to do. It's quite fascinating if you think about it. So John sees some things, maybe some things he recognizes. But I will say this, when we look at the Trinity, and, and it's, for some it's, they don't understand, and that's okay because I don't fully understand God's essence. You know, if I understood everything about God, then he wouldn't be God. But some people in their hubris say, well, I can't understand it. Therefore, it can't exist. Be careful with that one. This is God, right? I believe that when we die and go to be with him, we're going to, of course, we're going to have an additional level of understanding. In our sinful flesh, we're only going to understand so much. And even John, this great apostle who he kept alive as the last one, struggled with this as well. So he's doing the best he can. Uh, There's a rainbow, like an emerald. An emerald is a green stone. 
but the rainbow goes around the throne. And, you know, the science-minded person will be like, how could a rainbow go in a circle? I understand prismatic science and how the light is, you know, divided into different wavelengths. And God says, I can bend light. There's your answer. You know, beautiful, incredible. Try to explain it. Good luck. I'm going to focus on more important things. Jasper is also, again, it has a clear light, but it may be prismatic light, which causes the rainbow around the throne. If you've ever seen a prism and separated, Roy G. Biv, all the colors. It's very cool to look at how you have your electromagnetic radiation and waves, and then all together they make clear light. <laughs> it's good stuff. I know, it's a little science stuff this morning. I hope everybody's had their B-complex. I know I had mine. Uh, but, I, you know, maybe I'm dating myself. I don't know if they still exist. But I, when I was younger, I went to light, laser light shows. Do those things still exist? Yeah, man, laser light shows. Whoa, I mean, it's the coolest thing. But this blows away a laser light show. We're just saying, you know. I told you I was going to throw conjecture in there and try to make some parallels here. I'm doing the best I can, but... Uh, that's, that's man-made. God blows that away. I can, some, uh, adjectives, dazzling, scintillating, right? We also know that the rainbow is the sign of God's grace. We see that in Genesis nine. So what we find out is that God does discipline, right? But we also know that everything he does is just and fair, just and fair. Now let's go back to verse two. You see all the similarities in the scripture, People, different Bible writers who maybe didn't know each other, didn't hang out with each other, and had experiences too, and you start to see these similarities. Second Corinthians twelve one through four, the Apostle Paul speaks about these revelations and visions that he got. So you want to know what he says? He says, Was I in the body? Was I out of the body? I don't know. All I know is I was caught up to the third heaven and I saw some pretty amazing things. And, you know, God, he says that God's grace was sufficient for him. You know, um, he took the thorn in the flesh as something that helped to keep him humble so he could continue serving the Lord in humility. I mean, you could imagine that if somebody sees something like this and they come back, some are humble, others could become very prideful. And God knows us, right? He knows us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. So Paul could have said, which one of you people got caught up to the third heaven? I know somebody was, you know what I'm saying? So he's just, he's just blown away. He says the same thing. You know, John says, I was in the spirit. Paul says, was I in the body? Was he out of the body? I have no idea. I just know I was there and I was conscious and I saw these things. So God has it under control. Verse four through five, powerful stuff. Around the throne were 24 thrones and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. So three out of five is the elders and the lamps. The elders, who are they? Well, we know they had white robes and they had gold crowns. Big difference. This, I love going into the Greek and the Hebrew because sometimes it could be more expressive than the English, right? In Revelation 19, when Jesus returned, turns, it says he has crown. Here it says the elders have crowns, but they're different crowns. Jesus's crowns was diademas or diadem in the English. This was a, a king's, a potentate, a sovereign's crown. 
Nobody gets to wear that except for Jesus. Our crowns or the elders' crowns are Stephanos. These are victors' crowns. These are running the race to win as Christians. These are overcomers' crowns, right? A lot of different crowns, but they're not deademos, different crown. Um, and, and that's sometimes people read it and go, I don't understand. How do we wear that? No, we don't. It's a different crown, you know? I like to bring that stuff out. But the, the white robes, the white is not, again, uh, I've had my, my hand in some laundry and I've done some bleaching and I put holes in things. Um, other times I've turned colored clothes white. Um, my wife definitely does a better job than me, but I'm getting better. I don't even know why I said that. But, but the point is that this isn't bleach white. This is, when you see it, it isn't like any color that anybody could mix at Sherwin-Williams or whatever. This is purity. And the way you get the white robe is to have that righteousness imputed to you in Christ. And that's why we talk about John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. That's the short version. The long version are the promises that we get, the promises of eternal life, the promise that God will be with us all the time, the sealing of the Holy Spirit. But also, when we go to be with the Lord, we have garments that are flawless. And that flawlessness comes from the righteousness of Christ imputed to us when we believed in him. So that's good because I woke up this morning. Sometimes I put my shirts together that I've already worn. Now I'm, I'm on video, so I can't wear the same thing. I, I just throw stuff in the closet. I don't know why I said that either. But, <laughs> but the point is that when I get to heaven, I don't have to pick my clothes anymore. Amen. I'll ask my wife, do these two blues match? Whatever. Uh, so, but this is a good thing with this, with the crowns and the robes and, you know, you know what I love too? Today, we're so focused on our differences. When we're in heaven, we're all the same. We're all God's children. We're all equal. There's no hierarchy. We all get the white robes. We all get the gold crowns. This is why the church needs to be the vehicle of peace, especially during this time. Because there's a whole world that has never read this. And I'm going to talk next Sunday. Stay tuned for this. Um, books used in academia and the public schools that, that have a false construct of race. And you wonder why we have so many problems today. We're being brainwashed into believing we're so different and that we have to struggle for races I'm, going to, I'm bringing Darwin's book in, the one that it's, it's all used. And wait till I read to you the subtitle of this book. You're going to be, don't, don't do any research, because I'm going, to ask, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand to see how many people have actually read this title, the thing that's being preached in academia in favor of the Bible. The Bible says that we're equal, but we have a whole world of brainwashed people that believe that we need to struggle against each other. Well, of course, it's going to develop tensions. There's so much to this. I'm just touching the iceberg here. But what does the Bible say? It says we're all equal. We're all equal. 24 elders. We look at this. So a, lot, a lot's going on here. Um, let's see, 24 elders sitting, clothed in white. All right. Now, some look at this and say, well, the 24 elders represent the church. Others say, and I'm in favor of the latter view that the 24 elders represent the 12 tribes in the Old Testament that represent the Jewish people, who the Messiah came from, and the other 12 represent the apostles 
that God used to establish this idea or this concept of the church. So I like that view better. But here's a mind blower for you. And I I said I was going to throw these things in here. When John went up in this vision and he sees, he can't really make out who's on the throne. This is God. So he's, he's trying, he's struggling, but he, he can make out people, right? So God's main throne, and then we would sit on smaller ones, nothing like the one that he's sitting on. And he's trying to make out the people, the 24 elders. Did you ever think to yourself, and this kind of came to me as I was studying, when John was looking at them, could he see their faces? Could John see that one of them was him, right? That's kind of freaky if you think about it, right? John was going to be representing the church age. He, and I believe he was going to be one of the 12. When he looked and and goes, I feel like I'm looking in the mirror, you know what I'm saying? So interesting concept. um, But, you know, if you're asking me to give you every specific answer and interpretation of this chapter, you got the wrong guy because... You know, it's just like John. He, he did the best he could. In Daniel 7, 9, and you're going to see some parallels between Daniel and John. So Daniel in the Old Testament, John in the New Testament. As we go through Revelation, you're going to see that they're really kind of kindred spirits, that they have similar and parallel ministries, although on earth they never met. Daniel 7, 9 tells us that God was establishing thrones, but they're not filled yet. Here, the thrones are filled. So as we move forward in prophecy from Daniel in the Old Testament to John in the New Testament, things are changing. Things are happening. You know, we look at this world and we think every day is the same day. But there's things going on up there that we have no idea that God's moving. And I'm excited about that. Lightnings, thunderings, voices, supernatural utterances. If we go to Exodus 19 and Exodus 20, we saw those things. You know, the children of Israel were being a little presumptuous with Moses and said, well, we want to we want to be a part of that, too. And some of God's supernatural things took place. And they're like, oh, you know, Moses, you you can go meet with him. (laughs) That's a little scary. So there's a storm coming. Right. And it's kind of exciting to me, like even in, in the earth, when you see the lightning flashing and the clap of the thunder, kind of a cool powerful experience just of what we experience on earth but there are things going on in heaven and there's a storm coming people think that what they see today is a storm they have no idea what's coming on this earth the seven lamps of fire the seven spirits of god right in the in the um in the temple the menorah always had to have those seven receptacles filled with oil and lit And actually, Hanukkah was the miracle of the oil that was extended, right? Because this is the Jewish people were commanded to have this. And even after the horrible things that happened, um, there was a miracle of the oil lasting. So Isaiah 11, I've covered this. The Holy Spirit is often represented in a fiery type of way. As a matter of fact, when the tongues of fire at Pentecost right? They, they descended on each person. They were, they were explained as tongues of fire. I guess they looked like a tongue, but it was a burning flame. And there was a picture of the Holy Spirit doing a work with the believers. Hebrews twelve twenty nine. I like to just put a lot of stuff together to just kind of pull from different places. It says, our God is a consuming fire. In Exodus 3, Moses sees this bush 
burning. And there's a, there's a representation of God. He's being spoken to, and he's marveling that he's looking at this bush, and it's on fire. You ever see a fire or a bonfire, right? They're kind of cool, but eventually everything goes out. This thing's not going out. It just keeps burning and burning and burning. And God is speaking to him through that situation. Our God is a consuming fire. Um, one day, that consuming fire will separate the good from the bad. And in this world, a lot of bad mix in with good. Jesus even said that this happens in the church, that people will come into the church looking to start trouble, looking to cause division. Churches are struggling with this as we speak. But God said, they might hide from people, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some separating the sheep from the goats. I would just encourage us to be the sheep and not the goats. It's not that God doesn't like goats. He's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a reference, okay? So, uh, six through eight. And we have a lot of animal lovers here. I'm one of them. Verse six, it says, Before the throne was a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night saying, holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So four out of five is the sea of glass and the living creatures. The sea of glass like crystal. Now, this is, it's difficult to translate or to explain. But before God, before his throne, before you even get to his throne, there's this expanse. Maybe it looks like clouds. But what we do know is it's vast it's translucent. Maybe it looks like ice and it's crystalline. It's gorgeous. Hollywood has made some really neat things over the years. And, you know, you watch movies and a thought come to me, came to my mind. Remember Superman had his own cave and he flies up there and there's all these ice structures. It's kind of cool. Anyway, it's nothing compared to what God's throne looks like, but it's kind of cool to look at. The light show, Superman's cave. I mean, I'm doing the best I can here. Uh, but when we get there, it's going to be really, really amazing. If nothing else, I really have a vivid imagination. So, you know, even when you think of TVs, and I've seen TVs that people have, and there's so many pixels, right? There's so many little tiny pixels, you know, and they just keep making TVs with more thousands of pixels. And you look at the TV and you would think that you were there. Because the picture is so clear, it's 3D, it's like, this is so cool. But again, when we get to God's kingdom, anything we do here, it's just going to be... Here, here's another, uh, let me throw this out at you too. John, the apostle, has five senses. But his senses, him receiving this heavenly vision are only good as his five senses. Think about that. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher this, but I'm learning a lot about audio-visual. And when you send a signal, right, from one source to another, if you have a cable that's a crummy cable, you can have the best source. But when you send it to that other one, it's only going to look good as the limitations of the cable, right? I think I, I did good with that one. So when John sees this vision of heaven, his eyes are, they're human, 
his ocular, his auditory, the auditory nerve. He's only picking up things as good as his five senses. Isn't that fascinating? When we go to heaven, I believe we will have an even greater understanding of the things of God. We can ooh-ah with this, but we're going to really ooh-ah when God gives us the new equipment. And I'm looking for the new equipment because my equipment's getting old. And I'm getting tired. First John 1 John 1.5, it says, God is light. Not electromagnetic waves that we experience today. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Ezekiel's vision, one twenty-two. he sees these beasts or these people say, and people argue, I, I, like, I don't like to argue over this. Some say, well, they're angels, they're angelic beings, can't you see? Others think, well, they, they seem like animals, maybe they're his pets, you know. So whatever, both sides can... Either way, they're created beings, they're holy creatures, and they worship him and express truths about him without rest. So in Ezekiel's vision, 122, it says this, because he sees these things, similar things. He says, there was a likeness of a firmament or an expanse. Some can translate it a sky above the four living creatures was like color of awesome crystal stretched over their heads. Ezekiel's doing his best too. He sees stuff and he's like, wow mind blown. So very exciting. Um, Regardless of how you envision it, when I look at the symbolism and I look at what John is expressing, I see purity. I see perfection. I see holiness. And I see that God is awesome. The living creatures here bear similarity to those in Ezekiel's vision is that they have eyes all around. Now, some people might get freaked out about that. You know, man, he's got a hundred eyes blinking at the same time. But it is a picture of awareness and wisdom, and they're probably beautiful. You know, Um, each creature had a different resemblance. You know, when God created men and women, he created us, not the sin part. He created us in his image. You know, we feel certain things, even, even the, the best scientists, psychiatrists, really have a hard time with the whole emotional concept of the human mind. A lot of, and I, I've done reading, 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 that the, even the, the idea between where does the, the brain start and end and where does the mind and the non-physical part, when you start reading about that stuff, even the experts, they, they don't fully have all the answers. Um, so it's a, it's a really incredible thing, but God made us in his image and then we sinned. So we're in a faced image when it comes to God. We're a murky picture of who God is. When we're really serving the Lord and loving people and healing and bringing together, you start to see a better picture of God for that moment that we're doing what's right. He also, again, bear with me on this. It does seem that he, these four living creatures, each one of them bared a characteristic of Christ when he was on the earth. So I'm going to look at the characteristics. I'm going to look at the gospels. I'm going to look at the animals and what they represent. And let's try to put this together. So these four represented the character and the nature of Jesus. The first one was like a lion. In the lion, the king of the jungle, right? Royalty, strength. The lion of the tribe of Judah. You see Matthew's gospel, okay? Uh, and that's what that pre- presents Jesus as. The second was a, a calf or an ox. The oxes were the, the top of the food chain when it came to strength and service. 
need to plow a field, you need to move um, marble on a cart. The oxen were the ones that did that. So strength, service. Mark's gospel presents Jesus as that servant. Now, folks, a lot of times in the Bible, and, and I'm going to say we find our concept, and unfortunately it still exists in the world, and you would wonder why the UN hasn't or the world community hasn't eradicated it. Slavery still exists in the world. And to us, it's abhorrent, but it's abhorrent because a man dominating another, a sinner dominating somebody, you don't know what you're going to get. But Jesus, he came as a servant to the human race. Think about that for a minute. Something so abhorrent when humans do it to each other, the Lord Jesus chose. He didn't pick the short straw that the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Oh, Jesus, you got the short straw. You get to go down there and die. It didn't happen like that. He willingly went and he gave his life. When the the disciples wanted to call down fire from heaven against the unbelievers, Jesus says, you don't know what manner of man you are. You know, I came to die for these people. I came to die for you. So when you look at the ox who works hours of the day to please their owners, Jesus came as that service and that strength to us. He could have easily destroyed all the people who were his enemies, but he didn't do it. He chose to die. Third is the man. A man is the picture, or a person is a picture of intellect, wisdom, reasoning ability. Jesus was fully God and fully man. We see that in Luke's gospel, right? He's presented, I love Luke's gospel. I love the the medical terms and all the stuff that he says. I just, that's me. I like that. Um, It's just a great gospel to read. And fourth, one of the creatures was like a flying eagle, you know? Was that God's bird? I don't know. But was he flying around as John was? I don't know. But he was a flying eagle. And there's a picture of majesty. And in John's gospel, you know, Jesus is presented as deity. Okay? So that's, you see those four angles in these animals that God, or these beasts, or these living creatures that God created them. They also have six wings. And if you remember in Isaiah 6, the seraphim had six wings. With two, they hovered. With two, they covered their feet. With two, was it the eyes? Thank you. I got this in the back. Thank you. (laughs) So I never like to make a mistake up here. So I'm always, every once in a while, I have to call out for some help. Just bear with me. Um, But these guys, these creatures are perpetually calling out the truths. Holy, holy, holy for Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Set apart from his creation and thankful for that. That there's, there's purity in God. There's perfection. We can always trust God. He says, the Lord God Almighty, God is absolutely sovereign and absolutely omnipotent. And that's reassuring, especially in times like this. Um, So I'll just leave you with this. The living creatures, again, there's a debate on what they are. The uh, Greek word is zoon, (laughs) where we get zoology and and zoo. Um, So are they God's pets? I don't know. I know he created them. He also created the angels. Are the angels his pets? I don't know. They're just a different order of of species. So it's kind of neat. For those of you that are the animals in heaven crowd, there you go. Verse 9, last few verses. 
It says, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. So five out of five is the character of God a great note to leave on he is worthy to be praised continuously the elders bow down after the living creatures say what they're saying and my question is how do we worship god you know as a a new believer you know I, i believe i love the lord my emotions were there but my prayers were just mostly i need this i don't need that i'm in trouble here can you help me with that decision you know, there's a, um, an acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. It's a great uh, acronym because supplication, asking for stuff, is at the end. <laughs> but do we, when we pray, do we ever just stop and just, just look at the, the, the peace out there? Look at the, just in nature, the ecosystem, and just say, oh, Lord, you're so great. That the earth can um, revolve and then go rotate well rotate and then revolve around the sun and there's so much movement but it looks like a calm day and you don't feel it under your feet how does he do that i mean do we do we ever just stop and just adore and praise him because the one the smart ones in heaven that's what they're doing i think we get so distracted in this world that we forget who we serve you know lately i i just i just go out and i take a walk and i just ask the lord even at church i'm like what, what am I here for? Uh, you might say, oh, you're the senior pastor. So what? It's a title. Well, what am I here for? You know, and what is it that you want me to do? And I've just learned to, you know, even, even my flaws, I confess my flaws to him and say, Lord, how can we make me different and better so that I'm not like this? You know, how could I serve you better? I just want to serve him, you know, and I guess that just comes with time. Um, Being a Christian is not finding your celestial Santa Claus and just throwing post-it notes at him and asking, asking him for things. So adoration, so important that we adore him, that we praise him. He said that the elders, they're wearing some really fine fly gold crowns, aren't they? I don't know what they look like, but I bet you when you see them, it's probably the coolest thing more than any monarch that's ever lived. But you know what they do? They bow down. They take it off and they cast it before him. And I could see them skipping across the sea of glass as they all land at the Lord's feet. What does that say? It says that, and again, in this world, are we holding on to things too tightly? Even the things in heaven get given back to God. The Christian group, and I love it because um, casting crowns, in their videos, they tell stories. It's, it's very powerful. But they got their name from this scripture. They felt that it was such a powerful image that believers cast their crowns back to God that that's what they named their group, and they're very successful. What are we holding on to tightly? What are we holding on to even in terms of ideology? You know, we can believe in the things of God and then have 50 different ideologies and just argue with people over stuff. Um, How tightly do we hold on to those? You know, I think that this just puts everything in the perspective. Amen? Even how much credit do we give ourselves? 
There's, there's one. Holding on to our reputation, holding on to what we've built. What are we holding on to? I'll just end with this. The throne room of God and the character of God. This needs to be our perspective by how we live and breathe, not what we see on TV. I can almost picture God asking some, why did you doubt? Well, because I watched the nightly news every night and they frightened me. I watched Fox and CNN and MSNBC and I just got all into a tizzy and I'm sorry, Lord, I just forgot about you. You know, I mean, the stuff on TV, honestly, it's just garbage. It's mostly garbage. Satan truly is the prince of the power of the air and the airwaves, right? Not the FCC. Um, So the big picture. For those who try to make their utopia here, if you don't know the Lord, you're going to be disappointed. Don't you see how fragile we are as a human race? It wasn't that long ago. It was less than six months ago that our economy was super. People were working. Unemployment was low. And look where we are today. You see how quickly things can get out of control? Do you see how quickly the things that we as mankind tries to build that can come crumbling down? You know, the COVID and then the lockdowns and quite frankly, mayors and governors who I don't even think they knew what they were doing. They didn't know what to do. You know, the CDC, you know, conflicting information, Dr. Fauci, Dr. Burks, Dr. This, Dr. That. They're not Dr. God. And some people turn these people into little gods. God is God. And all we can do, epidemiologists or, you know, governors, mayors, the only thing that we can do is do our best here. But we need to worship him, right? Um, So what do we do? We look for opportunities to do his will until he returns. And, you know, we might think, but I'm doing so little. And God might go, oh, that was awesome. That's just what I wanted you to do. You thought you were doing so little, but a million other Christians were doing that little, and aggregately it had an effect, and more people came and got saved. What a glorious day it'll be when the Lord comes upon us on a day that we don't expect him, and he says to us, child, well done, thy good and faithful servant. I want to leave you with this scripture as we close, you know, just as the cherry on top of everything that we just covered probably for the last 35 minutes. Isaiah 26, 3, it says this, God will keep you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on God because he or she trusts in God. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.